0: Hey guys, it is the end of 2018 and we are back with this new RSS feed set up for Talking Rock. But the, the problem is we've lost all the great episodes that Joey Haney and I did back in 2018. So what we're going to do here for the next two or three episodes is catch you up and get those old episodes... Out in this new Talking Rock feed, if that makes any sense. So it's kind of a a year-end look back at 2018 and a look ahead to our new beginning of Talking Rock. A big thanks to Chris and Joey for giving it new life here. And uh, I'm I'm excited for where this podcast is going to go in 2019. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast. And also, if you are an iTunes user, very important that you leave us a five-star review and give us, uh, you know, a nice uh, write-up there when you do that review. Uh, We would really, really appreciate that. And anyways, Happy New Year's, and I hope you have a great 2019. I hope you stick with us through the year. And for this episode and, and the next couple episodes, let's look back at 2018 Uh, the interviews and discussions that we did on the Talking Rock podcast. We have a great show today. We have Pete R.G., who has some really great, unique sounds. There's some great high-quality rock coming out of this guy, so stay tuned for that interview. And also, I'm going to introduce you to a great band that I was introduced to called the Night Flight Orchestra. We got David Anderson from the Night Flight Orchestra on the show with us, and the guy who introduced me to that band the night flight orchestra is the co-host on this uh, episode from the rock strikes 10 podcast joey haney hey how are you man
1: i'm well mark thanks for having me on this is a lot of fun and thanks for the invite
0: you bet and thank you for turning me on to the night flight orchestra because i just i love the new record i mean those first two records i think it was the second record you turned me on to and it had some great stuff on it but for me, this this new record even takes it to the next level. And if it weren't for you putting them on my radar, I probably would have never clicked the link when it was you know, sent to me by the publicist. But I got to tell you, right now, this 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 Night Flight Orchestra record is on is on target to possibly be one of my favorites of the year. I wanted to get your opinion on it. How how are you digging the record?
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, yeah when I was on talking metal a couple years ago for the best of the year I put skyline whispers tied for first and I learned about it through daco jones podcast because I listened to him talking to bjorn for an hour And they sold me on the band without me ever hearing a note And i'm just glad I like the band after that just and I've re-listened to that record more than anything that year and Amber galactic the new one is already up there. I've listened to it more than any other album that I bought this year and I tell guys out there I when I talk about online I say it's easy enough to sell them if you're a fan of arena rock AOR rock uh, 1975 through 1985 era, if that's your sweet spot then this is your new favorite band easily said
0: yes yeah definitely and the the record you turned me on to initially was skyline sky skyline whispers right that's from 2015 and yes, you mentioned the brand new record, Amber Galactic. I bought the vinyl. It sounds amazing. Looks amazing.
1: So- yeah, I was lucky enough to. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was lucky enough to obtain a uh, the early pressing of Amber Galactic. I got it on Violet Galaxy print vinyl. Oh, nice. It, and it's it's amazing. Like it's three sides of vinyl, and then they have this cool print on the uh, on the D side, sort of like the old Paradise Theater album.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly it. The fourth side has this. Uh, there's there's no music on the fourth side of the vinyl, but it has this awesome design. I don't, you know. Whereas on Paradise Theater by Styx, you had on side two, you had this like kind of stenciled in thing on the actual grooves of the vinyl. It was kind of a like weird color to it and shimmering color. Uh, really amazing on that that Paradise Theatre record. i would never s- visually seen anything like that stenciled into the grooves grooves of an album. You know, I hear Sticks, I hear Toto, I hear Foreigner, I hear Jolin Turner era Rainbow. I hear like even the Doobie Brothers at times. I hear Survivor. I hear so much great rock from the 70s and 80s on this record by the Night Flight orchestra record uh amber galactic
1: and uh, bjorn uh, this this may not get out of your head once i say it but uh bjorn kind of sounds like i think oh, the van zant guy from 38 special yeah. yeah like he sounds like him a lot but the cool thing about him is you people might sell him as a hodgepodge band but they literally like it's almost like they get together i don't know what they do but it's like they get together and just Say a band name and they go, okay, we're gonna write a song. that says it sounds just like that band and one day It could be kiss the other day. It could be Elton John and all the other bands you mentioned uh, Deep purple. I mean, it's all there in every song. It's completely schizo in that sense when you listen to it and they're even getting into that uh, Sort of uh, the no shame yacht rock kind of hard yacht as I was calling it earlier today But it's all there everything (laughs)
0: Yeah, You know, and it's like there are certain people that don't get this band. And I mean, the yeah. two, you you think you mentioned, wasn't it Michael Butler and Rock and Roll Geek Show did not get them?
1: Oh, he trashed me for I, I know he's going to hear this because I know he listens to your show still. He hasn't listened to my show, but and I still love you, Michael. But yeah, I remember uh, someone else, one of his other listeners told him to listen to it, too. And he had heard me on Talking Metal praising it. And it was like I got roasted pretty bad for that one. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get it. But, you know, it. I don't, and I don't know who they're targeting either. It might just be guys our age, but I, I tell younger kids that, you know, some of my coworkers and stuff like that, if you're looking for irony, then you'll find it. But if you're looking for it to be taken seriously, you'll find it too. So either whatever your journey is with this band, if you just give into it, you're gonna have a blast.
0: Yeah. And some of my favorite tunes on the the new record, uh, you know, I, I love Josephine. I love Sad State of Affairs. I mean, that song, I just play it over and over and over. It's so good. And uh, Space Whispers. I mean, the the Mick Jagger cover is just <laughs> yeah, you know?
1: A song that most people probably forgot about. I actually never forgot about that song because that was like the first year I was really
0: watching MTV was when that was a hit. Oh, so good. That's off of She's the Boss, right?
1: Yeah. And I remember the first night I listened to this record on the headphones, top to bottom, and i didn't even look at the track listing you know i was doing stuff around the house but still listening to the album and i remember that song kicking in at the end of that epic and i was like oh that sounds like just another night that's brilliant and then it turned out to be just another night right, so right. Yeah. G- good on you guys yeah,
0: i mean what a riff on that song which you know i almost feel like they bring the riff out a little more than the original jagger tune it just I mean it's pocket it's so heavy um, you know yes. not, not heavy as in like heavy metal just so intense you know it's such a a great great groove and yeah. these guys get it and not everyone gets them though and uh, I think you know to me there's, there's there's a pureness there's a trueness to what they do you know I, I was talking to, to Mitch Lafon who I do metal raps with one of my other podcasts and he just didn't get this this band the night flight orchestra but yet he's mm-hmm. telling me about like how great the biters are i mean what do you think of the biters
1: i, I love the biters they're one of my favorite bands right now yeah, so i'm makes, i guess i'm like me, the uh that,
0: that just didn't grab me i listened to this album he was raving about the biters and the production and everything it just i don't know it didn't sound it didn't sound pure and authentic like like the night flight orchestra does i mean they're obviously totally different kind of style of music but, uh,
1: yeah this 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 falls more along the lines of uh, the ghost factor. It's almost the same exact journey as the guys and ghosts because these are guys that are playing in heavier bands in Europe right. and yes. they finally decided to embrace the melody. you know I'm not saying they're bored with their other bands but it kind of seems that way uh, at least yes. and they didn't have my ear before this and now they do.
0: Yeah, I'm a big Arch Enemy fan. I've always liked Arch Enemy and Charlie, who's in the band, of course, did work with King Diamond, too. Um, And then we have guys who are in in soil work, including this guy who we're going to talk to right now. This is uh, my my interview with David Anderson, one of the uh, guitarists in the Night Flight Orchestra, or I guess the guitarist. Right. Because it's it's like it's like he's like the lead guitarist. Uh, Yeah. And um yeah, he sounds great on this. So if you know him from from Soil Work, wow, what a difference you're gonna get with this record. If you don't know him from Soil Work, it's okay. It's okay. Definitely still check out the Night Flight Orchestra, Amber Galactic. And right now, here's my interview with guitarist David Anderson from the Night Flight Orchestra. Check it out here on Talking Rock. <laughs> hey, it's Mark Striegel and Calling in on the Skype line from the Night Flight Orchestra and also Soil Work, we have David Anderson. David, how are you?
2: Good. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you so much for talking with us, and we're going to be focusing today uh, our interview on the Night Flight Orchestra, and the new record is out, Amber Galactic. I'm really, really digging this record, such great melodies, such familiar sounds but yet new and fresh sounds i mean it's uh you know you guys have really captured the the classic rock and 70s 80s era vibe so well on this you know you're known for your your work your extreme metal work your your heavy metal work how how do you approach guitar playing and songwriting when it comes to the night flight orchestra is do you, do you really have to get in a different frame of mind to write this music?
2: Yeah, of course. Of course, you have to. You have to. Um, your focus is slightly different, but at the same time, I mean, I've been listening to classic rock and all kinds of music uh, ever since I was a kid. So, so um, the music in itself comes very natural to me. I mean, I, I'm a big classic rock fan. I'm a big metal fan. I love jazz fusion. So whatever, so, so uh, and I've been playing in all kinds of bands all my life. So so uh, it's not like it's um, contrived or unnatural to to write and play classic rock because it's something I've done all my life. So so um, it comes quite easily.
0: And the way it's recorded, even the the music videos that that go along with it, it definitely has I would what I'd call a retro vibe. And is, is that something? when when you're sitting down and doing that songwriting that that you have to kind of f- focus on and and make sure that none of the the sounds or the 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 parts of the song that you're writing are too modern i mean do you do you really have to stay focused on being retro
2: no uh, it's not like we have a Known in the band is like the retro police and and right, right. <laughs> starting fights whenever we were in a retro. It's it's more that um, <clears throat> I, I think a lot of a lot of music sounded better back then, uh, like in late seventies or eighties, and also the the attitude um, behind the music was was um, different from these days because these days. People are often nervous about how they come across, or or, um, they're afraid to to be too far out there. And it's it's, um, our mission or or concept, is more about trying to recapture that spirit of not being afraid to to go too far or being too out there. And and, um, we're doing it, we're aware that people might be in front of us. Because um, it's sometimes a bit cheesy, but at the same time, we we really love what we do. And we love um, the music we're playing, and we're really serious about the music. Uh, right. But but I mean, listen to to if you listen to and watch uh, some of the music and some of the videos from from back then, it's it's quite outrageous. Um, but at the same time, people were serious. Yeah. Have you seen? Stay the Night with Chicago, that video? Uh,
0: I, I I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I've, I probably when have.
2: Peter is, is, is like yeah, climbing um, on a sports car going in like 80 miles an hour or, or like the video by um, uh, Journey, Separate Ways, right, yeah. sports, when they're playing like air instruments. Um, it's not. I want to do that myself, but, but it's, it's still, I love that thing that, um it's extremely strange and and over the top and too much uh, and, but they're still serious and, and they actually were successful back then whereas these days people bands and artists have this fear of um, coming across as strange or, or uh i mean it's it's kind of nice to do something that no one else is do doing these days at least i i, I don't know if, if or any bands out there doing the same thing that we are because uh, we're not, like, that bound to any specific genre. I mean, of course, we we have some AOR influences and some classic rock influences and some progressive influences, but it's not like we're limited and, and have to, like, stick to a particular genre. So, so uh, I mean, we could do a jazz song or a reggae song or a funk song, and, and it still would work. So that's the, the nice thing about our very loose concept of right. <laughs> being in the Life Flight Orchestra.
0: Right. You know, I, I saw the video for Gemini. Gemini? Right? Yeah, Gemini. That is just such a great song and an awesome video. Who who did the animation on that for you guys?
2: It's a guy called, um, his name is Elia Cristofoli from, from uh, Verona in Italy. Um, he's a good friend of Bjorn's girlfriend, who's also from Italy. And, and uh, <clears throat> I've always dreamt about uh, doing an animated space video. Because when we grew up, I mean, it was the same one in the US. I, I'm sure that you had all this great 80s animated um, sci-fi fantasy um, series like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and oh, over yeah. here, we had a French thing called uh, "Once Upon a Time" that was like uh, also a lot of nice spaceship uh, scenery and and, uh, and um, when we we um, when we did Gemini and, and uh, it was just uh, the record label wanted that to have wanted that to be the first release of the album and and. Uh, i wrote the lyrics it's sebastian's song but i did the lyrics and it's um i was actually thinking about the female space commander and a brokenhearted guy on earth trying to contact her and um when we found out that Leah was available to do the animated video it was just fantastic
0: yeah yeah great it's great stuff what what so you mentioned you mentioned uh what was it he-man i mean over here in the states we had buck rogers uh from the the i think that was like the late 70s and do you ever see that sci-fi show? no no yeah but it you know they had the you know and all the girls in the the space yeah. age spandex outfits which was always uh, <laughs> uh a good thing for me uh, at that age at that time <laughs> yeah. but um yeah, the the again the album really brings me back. And but I'm I'm an older guy. I'm in my forties. You know um, how how do so, how do so young, <laughs> yeah how, how do younger kids react to this? And when I say kids, I mean even twenty somethings. How are they reacting to the music of the Night Flight Orchestra?
2: To be honest, I have no idea whatsoever. Um, I, I guess. Um, um, we don't, I mean, since we, the Night Flight Orchestra, we're not like a touring band. Right. Uh, I mean, yet we want to be a touring band eventually, but, but um, I mean, uh, I've talked with to Sorwick fans about um, the Night Flight Orchestra as well, and, and it seems to be pretty, if people like it, it doesn't matter what age they are, because the young kids, they kind of, I mean, it's... It, the whole concept of classic rock, it's kind of universal. And, and um, uh, even if, even if you're like in your twenties, you still, you still heard most of the stuff. And, and, um, these days, a lot of the, the, um, big artists tend to sample or, or have some influences from the classic rock stuff as well. I mean, I have two young daughters and they loves, uh, they love, uh, Kate Perry and Taylor Swift. And
3: right. I mean,
2: it's not like it's very different from nightlight orchestra but i I can definitely hear that the same kind of songwriting because a lot of their songs are written by swedes as well so so i guess that melodic um language is in there still or just like abba is still a big influence on, on a lot of the big pop songwriters even if it's like a different genre but but i think the we have that the same kind of melodic, um, approach. Uh, I think that never goes out of style.
0: Eh? Right no.
2: least, I hope not.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and like I said, there's something very refreshing, although some of the songs sound like they could have actually come out of the seventies or eighties that are on this record. I mean, like Domino, great song, something mysterious, loving that song too. I mean, these songs, they, they, they sound, uh, you know, the, like you can't really date them, although you know they 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 have at times this older sound, but they sound very fresh today to me. Mm. So I think that's mm. that's that's great. And you mentioned possibly getting on the road and in, in touring with the Night Flight Orchestra. Is that is that a possibility that you, that you think could definitely happen in the near future?
2: Perhaps not in the near future, but but in the in the not so distant future uh i think it will happen but but um it's it's um it comes down to two things one that um we're all kind of busy with our other bands like soulwork and arch enemy right and um it's also that this is our first album on a on a a bigger label yeah, and it's it's a first sh- first chance to like um, reach out to people outside of the Swordwork Archenemy sphere because because of course there's there's always going to be a limited amount of Swordwork and Archenemy fans that really appreciate the Nightflight Orchestra, but at the same time I think we have a huge crossover potential. But to be able to to um, reach out to all those potential fans, we need some. Some more distribution, some more, some more media exposure, etc. And, and we're getting that now, but um, we're still a, a, not a safe bet for promoters or, or um, um, venues because since we we've just done like six or nine or whatever Swedish shows, um, no one really knows what kind of. Um, how many people we we draw if if we play a show so so um i guess we have to build up something first through record sales and um, media and and uh, if this album goes well i guess then we'll get some offers to to tour and, and we'd all love to do that
0: yeah again the album we're talking about is amber galactic it's a great listen the Night Flight Orchestra, which has members of Soilwork and, and Arch Enemy and the band Charlie D'Angelo is on bass uh, from Arch Enemy. Can you run down actually the lineup f- for the Night Flight Orchestra? Who's in the band actually?
2: Yeah, it's, it's me, David Anderson on guitar and, and Björn Strid from, from Soilwork as well uh, on vocals and then Charles D'Angelo from Arch Enemy and Spiritual Beggars and Witchery and uh, a lot of other bands on, on bass. And then we have um, Sebastian Forslund uh Who's uh, playing the guitar and, and some percussion? Uh, and then we have Richard Larson, who's the keyboardist, and then uh, Jonas Schelsbeck as a drummer.
0: Very cool. And, you know, I was just recently down at this M3 festival, which they have every year here in the United States down in Maryland. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's, you know, older hard rock bands and classic rock bands, you know, Lover, mm-hmm. Lover Boy and, and Rat and uh you know kicks.
2: Like the perfect festival for us yeah and know? i was i was gonna say si-
0: m3 it's the m3, m3 festival and it's this massive like classic rock you know uh hard 80s hard rock festival that, that happens one? every every year and you know
2: it's it's
0: massive it's i mean it's like you know a band like like rat if they played in my home state of new jersey they probably would, wouldn't bring more than two thousand people. I can't imagine if they'd even bring that. But down there, because it's this group and it's a destination festival that people travel from all over to go to. Uh, oh. they, they had like you know fifteen thousand people there. It was it was just a really great event. <laughs> people that love that style of music um, and you guys would fit in great there. I mean, it's de- definitely. Something yeah, to look
2: I, I'm, I'm writing this down now. So it's it's M3 in Maryland?
0: Is it like Baltimore? Or... Yeah, it's it's about 45 minutes outside of Baltimore. Yeah, Columbia, Maryland, M3. Yeah, a great, great festival, which I think you guys, if you could get there next year, it would be definitely uh, worth your while. But um, again, the album Amber Galactic, the Night Flight Orchestra. We're talking with David, who's the guitar player. Um, David, real quick any updates on soil work you could uh, you could give us before we let you go
2: yeah we we um we played a, a mobile cruise um between finland and the baltic countries last weekend and and we're um we're gonna do like seven or eight festival shows this summer like the big most of the big uh, european ones like walk and help france cool. download france um Tuska, Finland. So uh, it's going to be a great summer, and and then we'll we're doing a small Scandinavian tour this fall, and then we'll try to um, start writing on the new album. So so hopefully we'll have a new album out sometime next year. But I guess after the
0: summer, to be realistic. But um, cool, we look forward to that. And before I let you go, one final question. You know, I'm always blown away by by the country of Sweden and the music you guys produce, because it's you know population wise it's it's ve- it's very small compared to the United States. But and I'm not just talking hard rock and heavy metal. I just across the board, whether it's alternative or uh, you know, um, dance music, Sweden tends to just have this massive output of of great quality music. Why is that? What is it about your country that enables people to have such uh um vast and and creative musical output
2: um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a combination of a few different things first of all when 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 I grew up and, and um i mean it, and still we do have like free music schools for kids. So if you want right. to learn an instrument, uh, it's uh, uh, when I was a kid, it was free. But these days, it's still almost free. I mean, uh, it's it's mostly financed by uh, tax money. So so um, any kid, no matter what background they have, can can actually get music lessons on their free time. Oh. And and um, and also that that we um, the Swedes are were a very this is just my personal theory but but we're a very non patriotic country. It's not like the Swedes are Swedes are mostly humble and not really um, we're not the like a lot of countries are really um, not open to outside influences, whereas Swedes are, are often um, quite humble. So right. I guess it's it's um, our whole culture has made us more open to outside influences and more. Um, and I think we're more able to to um, um, use those outside influences and integrate them with our own culture. Whereas, I mean, if you look at Some countries in in, in Europe, like France and Spain and Italy, they're huge countries. They have a fantastic culture, cultural heritage. Right. At the same time, they're extremely proud to be French or Italian or Spanish. So they don't really care to learn English or or, um, um, take in the influences from the outside world. Whereas, I mean, back in the '60s, we had tons of bands in Sweden. Singing in English and, and uh, trying to uh, imitate the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks and, and all the English pop bands back then. So, so I think we've uh, We've always been quite quick to to, um, to catch up on what's going on in the outside world and then I guess we'll bring our own Swedish um, uh, folk music melancholic um, thing to to the to the mix and that kind of makes it interesting, I guess, because I agree that I'm always amazed that, that Sweden is it's such a huge, um, we export so much music and it seems to go down well all over the world uh, and we're such a tiny nation. So I guess it's a combination of our free music schooling and our, our openness to outside influences and our like melancholic, um, uh, Depressed, right? Um, Swedishness.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you know, even in Canada, I know, like the radio stations up there, and and you know, the the cable, music, TV stations, they're required by the Canadian government to make sure like fifty percent of the music they feature is by Canadian artists. You know, which uh, which which is interesting. Um, and and I hear what you're saying that some some of these countries they have such national pride that they they don't want to embrace foreign languages or music or or cultures um so it's it's interesting to hear that theory it makes yeah. sense
2: and if you're reading like personally i i'm a big reader i read tons of books all the time and i i really like rock biographies and and if if you read about the classic acts like beatles jimi hendrix um, most of them did um very early on they did tours in Sweden, like the Beatles okay. did, did tours in Sweden as a, as a support act, uh, back in like 1964, 65, uh, and Jimi Hendrix did as well. And, and, uh, but Zeppelin and, and, and um, uh, so I guess Sweden's always been a, a, a very, we've always been very exposed to, to lots of, uh, Anglo American culture, um, which is a good thing because, I mean, otherwise, I mean, we, we growing up in Sweden, we, we all, we don't have, I mean, if, if you're in Germany or France or Spain, if you're, um, if you're watching a movie on the TV from, from, uh, an English speaking country, it's, it's, uh, overdubbed in the native language. Whereas in Sweden, we never had like overdubs, right? We've always heard English, um, and um, we've always had tons, lots of of um, foreign music on the radio. So um, I guess that's why we, we've been able to pick up on stuff quite right. early.
0: Right on. Well, David, thank you so much. It's been great talking with you. And we encourage all the listeners to check out the Night Flight Orchestra. Their third album, Am- Amber Galactic, is out now. It's up on Spotify, iTunes, all your regular outlets, so definitely go purchase and listen to Amber Galactic by the Night Flight Orchestra. David, thanks so much. What you just heard was my interview with David Anderson from the Night Flight Orchestra. We're going to hear from Pete R.G. in a little bit. And, hey, Joey, I'm very excited because I'm going this Saturday to see a, a, a duo, I think one of the biggest-selling rock duos of all time,
1: they're Hall the and biggest and selling rock duo of all time. Videos. Yes.
0: Wow. Okay. Hall and Oates. And I'm yes. so excited. This is, you know, I go to a lot of hard rock shows, a lot of metal shows. Um, I I don't get out enough to to enough rock that isn't kind of in that hard rock heavy metal genre. And I uh, and I'm really psyched about this. And I never like, I never really bought a Hall and Oates record back in the day, but I always. Loved their music, and I taped their videos off of MTV, and I, I had mixtapes that I taped stuff off the radio, and I, I always enjoyed and really loved their music. But I was never a hardcore fan. But I got to tell you, I looked at the set list, and I know every song, you know, and I, I'm, yeah. I'm really excited to see Hall and Oates. Have you seen him before?
1: Uh, yes, I actually was lucky enough to catch them last year for the first time. Even though I've been a fan since 1982 and i got to see him with sharon jones which uh proved to be unfortunately the first and last time i ever got to see sharon and uh, i don't mean to get all somber and everything but it was definitely an unforgettable night and that was an extra factor in it but uh hollow notes right there hits galore top to bottom and there's still songs that they left out that's how many hits they have they can play a full set and you may still go oh yeah i didn't hear that one but that doesn't make it any less bad of a show it's just, it just means that they they have all the hits and yes, they are the most successful duo ever. More so than Simon and Garfunkel. More so oh. than the Everly or the Righteous Brothers. They've outsold them all, wow. and there is a reason for that. They are definitely not overrated because of their sales. They are just pop perfection, man. And that soul element definitely was the key to putting them over the top. As far as you know, just the timelessness of it all. You know, you know still great. And
0: you look at all these hit songs, just song after song. And there's a a lot of them are written by, you know, John Oates. A lot of them are written by Daryl Hall and John Oates. I think there, there's uh, there's songs written just by Daryl Hall. But then there's this yeah. third songwriter that appears on a lot of the songs, Sarah yeah. Allen. Do you know anything about her? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Sarah Allen was uh, one of Daryl Hall's significant others, and obviously the inspiration for Sarah smile. Uh, I don't know what their relationship is now currently, and I think somebody else that was, and you know, I don't have Wiki up or anything, or so. Forgive me, but uh, it was either uh, his his wife's other sister or John Oates' other girlfriend that also helped write songs to them early on as well, and some of those became hits.
0: Right. And, so. and another another kind of notable name that that was always associated with Hall and Oates for me was the guy who was such a simple player when he was the band director on Saturday Night Live but such yeah. a tasty, tasty player. I believe he played the the Fender Telly. G.E. Smith, Les Paul, too. I mean, I think he played a Les Paul. I'm trying to remember
3: what yeah. he played, actually. But
1: he's a great
0: Smith. player. Is is he still playing with him?
1: No, no, he, he doesn't. He doesn't tour with them anymore, uh, you know, because that was the whole thing. I thought it was really cool. Like, you know, Hall notes had some hits in the 70s. But it really wasn't until they started to use G. Smith and T-Bone Walk, who was also in SNL, actually, that right. bass player that held the b- bass up to his chest, you yeah, know. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they decided to stop using studio musicians and having their producers call the shots and started using their touring band. That, that's when they really started to catch fire. Once they got the band vibe in the studio is when they really started to like just go hit, 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 hit. And I, I think that's definitely an important factor into their success as well. So uh, you know, good for those guys.
0: Absolutely. I'm, I'm right now. I'm on Wikipedia. I wanted to just run down some of these. I mean, this is the greatest hits tour that they're doing. Um,
1: oh, nice! I didn't know that. Yeah, that's which, that's going to be awesome.
0: Yeah, which for me, I mean, that's 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 what I want to hear. You know, from a band like Hall and Oates. Um, yeah, they get it. List of oh, here we go. List of Billboard number one singles. <laughs> Uh, but that's that's not Hollow Oates' number one singles. Uh, oh, I don't know. List of.
1: I could I could I can name them off all day.
0: Yeah. Oh, here's discography. I'm just kind of like studio albums, live albums, uh, singles. Well, uh, let's see. I'm sorry, 1973. She's gone. Their first yeah. single to really yeah. the charts from 1973. A great song. Uh, yeah.
1: And she's gone. Actually, used to get played predominantly just on the R and B stations. You know, in a pre MTV world, everybody thought they were African American, and it took a long, it took years for people to realize that they weren't. That they got so consistently played on R and B radio, not so much pop radio, that that was the thing.
0: Yeah, and and it's interesting that you said that because to me that's a massive song and that's lived. On not only you know R&B radio, it really hasn't been on R&B radio for probably decades at this point. But I'm sure that's where no, it started, no, like yeah. you said. But it's lived on classic rock radio to this day. Uh, that was '73, but it wasn't until '76 that they really cracked the the Billboard Top 10 with "Sarah Smile," which again just such a great song. The "Rich Girl" came along about a year after that in '77. Uh, but wait for me was 79. I don't want to lose I was 78. Um, so many songs you've, they, they actually had a, a big hit with you've lost that love and F- love and feeling cover.
1: I like, I like that version. I think that's the best version of that song too. Yeah.
0: Great version. Kisses on my list hit in 81, you know, and they, they really successfully made that jump from the seventies to the eighties. Uh, you know maybe the 80s was even more suited for them cuz they just that's where they really just blew up you know
3: yeah Michael
1: which is an, an anomaly in it itself. itself you know like band radio bands from the 70s didn't really cross over that well into the MTV generation and they're one of the few that actually did
0: private so. eyes i can't go for that did it in a minute man eater one on one family man i mean it just goes on and on say it ain't yeah, and so say
1: adult it education yeah, yeah say it isn't so is one of the only songs that was included as a new song on a best of that became a hit. Most people will insert new songs onto a best of just to sell it, right. and it's one of the few that actually became a legit hit. Adult Education did okay, but Say It Isn't So was like a huge hit, and you can't really point to a lot of greatest hits to where they actually created a hit out of a greatest hits set. I think that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. Very
0: true. So anyways, I'm I'm excited to to see this group, very, or this duo very much, even though I've, I've, you know, I've never really seen them. I've never, I don't think I've ever really bought one of their albums, you know, but it's, it's, uh, the set list is amazing and I'll let you know what I think of the show.
1: Yeah. And plus you got tears for fears going on before them too. So right. not, not, bad, you know, yeah. like, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm very, I, you know, I basically just know the singles, but I'm sure they're going to play them all. So it's going to, it's going to be a good night out.
0: Awesome. Cool. So again, you have your own podcast, Rock Strikes 10. You play music on the podcast. It's a very, very great show. And I highly recommend people check it out. Where can, where can they check it out? I mean, iTunes, obviously, but where else can they access you and your, your show? Uh, It's on cnjradio.com.
1: And that's where you can get every episode. Not all the episodes are on iTunes. Uh, That's probably a technical thing on my end, but the latest 100 episodes are, but all the episodes are on cnjradio.com. You can also search Rock Strikes 10 in Google, find it there, or on some of the other illegal stream sites that actually have it, which is kind of weird itself. But
0: All right, man. Well, it's been great chatting with you, and we'll have your info linked through today's show notes the uh we've had some a little bit of sound quality issues here on this first uh kind of relaunch episode it's technically episode 21 we're gonna work that out i thank you for for hanging out with us and and working through those sound issues with us um yeah man so this is pete rg and what what an honor to talk with this guy if you don't know his music go to the show notes For today's episode and check out his music. We'll have have it up there, and he's got some uh, some really unique sounds that I think are very very strong. One thing I want to do on this podcast is promise you guys, the people I interview, and uh, listen, I'm guilty of this on talking metal sometimes because I get pressured by publicists, on and. Eighty percent of the time, anyone I interview on Talking Metal, it's uh, I have an interest in them, and that's why they're on. Twenty percent of the time, I'm pulling back the curtain here. I'm being honest. I'm I get strong-armed into some of these interviews because it's like, uh, if you know, I got you this famous person that you really wanted to interview. Now you got to interview this guy for me, you know. And I, I hate that shit. And that's something I'm gonna. Try my best to avoid here on Talking Rock because I, since we aren't playing music, especially, I want to guarantee that these uh, these artists on this show are worth your time and effort to open YouTube, to open Spotify, to go to the show notes and check check uh, these artists out. Uh, Joey, before we go, what do you think of Pete R G? Were you able to check him out?
1: I was actually, and the the first impression I got of him, you know, I enjoyed the songs. They're they're very good pop songs. And he really reminds me vocally. I mean, not stylistically, hardly at all. But it has a very European flavor to it. And he almost kind of sounds like Peter Murphy a little bit vocally. And yeah, I, I, I
0: could totally see and hear that. Uh, among a lot of other artists that are, that are uh, in the mix here. And, you know, it could just be that this guy has a really unique and original sound. And we're always trying to... to uh, associate these artists with other artists that have come first which is fair and unfair when you think about it you know and and again i just again everyone we play on this show everyone i interview on this show is worth checking out i will not be putting up interviews with people That I don't personally uh, think have any musical value. And somebody I do believe has some great musical value is Pete R.G. So let's get into the interview right now with him. Go to the show notes. Right now we don't have TalkingRock.com yet set up. Uh, So what you need to do is go to Talking Metal and go to the Talking Rock section. And I'll have some of his music and the Night Flight Orchestra music up there for you to click on and listen to. You also can go to Spotify and all your, your normal outlets to, to check this guy out. We'll have a website up um, you know, for, for the artists on today's show. We'll have links over to Joey's stuff. And uh, that's it, guys. Here we go. Little Pete R.G. interviewed by myself. My name is Mark Striegel. And this is episode 21 of the Talking Rock podcast, kind of the the reboot, the relaunch, if you will, the new direction. No music, going legit. Um, hope to have this up on iTunes and, and iHeart real soon. And thanks for your support. spread the word about talking rock. Love you guys and uh, if you need, if you need more of me and by some weird freak chance you don't know about my other podcast Talking metal, or podcasts, or metal raps, definitely subscribe to those on iTunes, and leave a review for this Talking Rock podcast on iTunes. All right, here we go. My interview with Pete R.G. After that, the show's over. Pete, how are you today?
4: I'm good, Mark. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I got the the press kit and, and some of the songs and links from, from Amanda, and I've been... Checking out Tender Souls and really great stuff, man. I I wanted to talk to you about the album and also about your kind of musical journey, if you will.
4: Yeah, thank, well thank you first of all, but absolutely I'm, I'm happy to talk about it.
0: Cool. Well, let's let's first talk about the record. The the single is out and it's it's the title track off the the record Tender Souls. Uh how did this record come about? Who worked on the record with you and uh, where did you record it?
4: Uh well this record came about because uh, the band was just coming together. We had we had been playing for about a year. Uh working on working with with songs that were written for the most part prior to the band uh forming and uh and starting you know to play out and so this this album was a, a blend of some of those songs being uh you know reissued from, from an ep originally to being put on an lp as well as with uh, new tracks that were that were worked up uh with the band so okay. it was that's how it came about and uh it was recorded here in in uh, Los Angeles at, at my studio uh, by uh, Brena Kavler, who's my fiance, uh, keyboardist, uh, partner in life, right. as well as engineer and and co producer, and uh, she and I did all the all the recording, and uh, she did uh, pretty much all the mixing. Wow! And uh, you know, and that's how it all came together.
0: Cool. And the you know the album has a, a real rich sound and. Thanks. I'm al- I'm always curious to you know production wise how how you achieve that is it is is it you did you record to tape or anything like that or like w- what was the actual <laughs> recording process because it really sounds like it could be a record that that you know was recorded to tape it has again a real rich deep sound to it.
4: Well, first off, thank you. Second, thank you again because I'm going to tell Brina that and she's going to be really happy uh you know no it wasn't recorded tape we recorded as you know most folks do now uh pro tools right uh and uh but you know we're we're two things with that one we're conscious that when we record uh we do as much live as possible in that it's not just about layering the parts where you go i get your bass track and you get i'm sorry your drum track and then your bass track and then the guitar and maybe some keyboards and then your vocals we we actually track the bass drums and the, the integral or the primary guitar parts live. Uh, you know, we'll go back and edit some things to clean up maybe some uh, misperformances or just tighten things up in general. But for the most part, the foundation is what uh, it, it was created all at once, and and that kind of lends itself to what, what people would say is that tape sound, which is that it's actually people playing as opposed to a computer chopping up chopping up performances uh and and making it in a thing you know that it it otherwise might not be and and the second part and really this had a lot to do with Brina is that you know she she has a certain taste uh an aesthetic preference which you know it's a little gentler than 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 a lot of guys really would um you know girls i have have a different uh their, their ears hear things slightly differently. So she hmm. shies away from the harshest of sounds. And, uh, and I, I really love that. And that's, yeah. that's actually how we started working together. I was looking for someone to help me as a producer who had a different take on things than I otherwise would.
0: Cool. Well, you've, you've, you've mentioned bringing up and of course, uh, you're a big part of this. So who, who else, you've mentioned the band, who else is in the band?
4: Uh, well, first my, my dear friend and, and, uh, our bass player adam curry who who he and i have been playing together for quite a few years we were in another band last december uh our uh, drummer dave Cruzen, who uh if, if anyone knows was the uh original drummer for pearl jam in fact uh, he was just inducted with them into the uh, rock and roll hall of fame a few weeks ago cool and uh and our our guitarist kevin holland who has also played on a ton of stuff it's this project started out where uh, you know, as I was starting to mention before, where I, we took some songs that I had, you know, written and recorded with Barina, and uh, and you know, a couple of those guys, but not everyone, and we we use that as sort of uh, the the launching tools, the launching songs for the band, and we thought, okay, this would be cool. It'd be nice to bring these guys together and see what happens. But it turns out we just loved working together. We instantly had a chemistry. I mean. From the moment we hit the first beat, there was just a, a musical chemistry between us, not to mention uh, a real camaraderie on an emotional friendship level. So uh, that that's what we have, and, and it's something we're we're right now uh, we're continuing to to build and grow
0: with. Right on. And when when people ask you what style of of music you play, I mean, it's obviously rock but to pigeonhole it maybe if, if we can a little more than that, how, how, how do you describe it? I mean, I hear some, you know, traditional rock sounds, but also like Gothic overtones at times.
4: Cool. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably the worst at describing stuff in that sense. But when people ask me, I'll say, look, we're, we're in that, we fall in that big umbrella of indie rock these days. We definitely have a more, uh, a bit of a, somewhat melancholy sound to us, but, but not, not like, uh, dark and depressed. And, but I usually will say, look, we would, we're, we're the sound. If if you like listening to artists ranging from Springsteen to Radiohead to U2, to perhaps Fleet Foxes, War on Drugs, the national, if you like those artists, you're probably going to like us
0: absolutely absolutely and you guys did some some touring i think in in 2016 is there uh plans for touring in 2017
4: too we've actually played a bunch of shows in 2017 uh, in, in 2016 we did about 60 to 70 shows all, wow. all across the u.s some of those were uh opening up for Candlebox. um and then uh, in January, February of this year, we were in Europe for 15 to 17 shows. Uh, and uh, then we returned in, in February, March. We did uh, about a dozen shows in the southeast U.S. And, uh, and now we're going back out here in June. And we're, I think we're just, we're just doing six shows for this run. Okay. And, and we had to keep it short because we are in the middle of, of recording a bunch of songs. So we'll, we'll probably do this run, take a couple months off to finish the album and then be back out in the fall. And I, I expect we'll, we'll do about 25 to 35 shows in the fall and, uh, and then really ramp up next year uh, with, with a new album.
0: And can you talk a little bit about your, your musical upbringing? You grew up in the Los Angeles area, I assume.
4: Yeah, I I'm born and raised in L.A., in Venice Beach in particular. And that's, that's where I live now.
0: And when did you first start getting into the music scene in in Los Angeles?
4: Well, I was I was always in in the music because my parents were musicians in the 60s and 70s. They had a band. They played, you know, throughout Southern California, all the the well-known venues in LA such as the Troubadour, the Whiskey. they they played them. And so it was it was always around. They had a lot of musician friends, and I always was dabbling in music in one form or another. But it really wasn't until uh, I was in, in uh, you know, the end of high school and or in the beginning of college that I started to take it seriously. Uh, I, I, I hope that answers your question.
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. And and were you out at that point? Were you out with a band and playing the clubs? And you know, were you? Uh,
4: you know, I, I I didn't start playing the clubs until I was in college. You know, I would go to shows. I was always going to shows in college. I mean, sorry, in high school. Um, but but I really wasn't a part of the scene. I was sort of sort of scoping it out from the from the periphery. And then once I went to college, I was faced with having to get a a job for some extra cash. And it was like, you know, go work at the library, go work at the cafeteria, or join this cover band and you know make twice as much and have a lot more fun. Right. So that's what I chose and and uh you know from that that pushed me to write songs and then as soon as i finished college i went home to la to la and i uh i took those songs i started writing i cut demos of them and i was quickly offered a, a pub deal publishing deal and at that point that's when i actually put it together and started playing around la and got you know heavy into that circuit so it was kind of a kind of a roundabout way of doing it but um but it landed me where I'm at now, which is pretty cool.
0: And are, you, are your parents still doing music? Um,
4: unfortunately, my mom passed away oh, sorry to hear uh, that. Several, several years ago, but she was at that time. She was still playing. She was playing in uh, Nashville and, and uh, in Vegas doing a lot of lounge stuff. And my dad uh, has continued to play and, and write songs. In fact, I recorded an album with him uh, a few years ago and uh he just finished uh recording an album uh with a good friend of his a guy guy named Yanni spatha if anyone hears this and wants to look it up he's a a famous greek producer and also a a good friend of my dad's and they decided to go in the studio and and uh record some of their some of the songs that my dad had had written and uh so yeah he's he's very active and he's he's actually a great sounding board for me uh um, right. with the songs because he, he knows me, and and he knows when I'm getting off track. If maybe I'm, you know, not not being sincere enough for a song, and he's also going to tell me. He's like, yeah, that's a good song, or no, nah, people are blowing smoke up you, yeah, and that one's not so hot. And yeah, and he'll give it to me straight, which I really appreciate.
0: And when you were growing up, what type of music? I mean, obviously you had uh, you from a musical household, so I'm sure that that was an influence on you. But but as far as Bands and artists you were listening to when you were growing up, what are some of the standout ones for you?
4: Well, first, you, know, you have to say some of those bands from the 60s and 70s because my parents were listening to them all the time, like the, the Beatles, the Stones, uh, The Who, Led Zeppelin. But then, you know, I started coming of age and was listening to uh, U2, uh, Radiohead, uh, the likes of that, REM um, as a kid. So, so you know, those latter artists were probably my personal foundation. I would throw Bruce Springsteen in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that, that's where I, I was, you know, influenced when I first started, you know, just even playing any type of music could be when I was playing in the, in the band at school, playing violin or, you know, playing recorder or clarinet. Um, but, but as time has gone on, and even when I was younger, I was, I was always listening to a lot of stuff. Frank Sinatra, and Nat King Cole, a lot of classical music. I love for instance uh uh Mahler and, and uh Chopin. So, you know, like like a lot of folks these days my my influences are pretty wide.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And the uh the new music you're working on now. You said you're you're doing some new music now. When can we expect to hear that?
4: At the latest Beginning of 2018, we, we okay. expect we'll release it, an album sometime around uh, uh, you know first month, first week or so of February 2018. But we're going to have a, a single ready for uh, the fall. It, it just depends on whether or not we want to release that single in the fall, or just continue to be working. Uh, tender Souls, for instance, you know, coinciding with with this upcoming uh, tour, we have uh, our second single. Heaven knows going to radio uh, from the album Tender Souls, So we'll see. But, but that said, if you come to shows, for those who come to shows, they will definitely hear new material, including these upcoming shows, because we're going to be bringing uh, some of the new songs out for the first time. So that should be fun for folks, and I know it's going to be fun for us.
0: Cool. Well, Pete, it's been great talking to you. And again, the music I've heard sounds Likewise. Just, just great. And I wish you the best of luck, and I hope you uh, keep in touch with us here
4: absolutely thank you so much Mark I really appreciate it okay
0: thanks Pete best of luck to you take
4: care bye bye
5: heaven knows there's something up the word is out heaven knows what's coming next Coming now Heaven knows This conversation Is a bit too loud I've been told survive.
0: guys this is mark striegel welcome back to talking rock i am joined once again by my co-host joey haney from the rock strikes 10 podcast joey how are you I'm doing good, Mark.
1: Off work, so it's always good to be podcasting with you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know you just got off work, so I'm I'm, uh, appreciative that you were able to hop right on with us here tonight. And I'm also appreciative to our guest tonight. His name's his name is Ricky Phillips, and he plays with Sticks. Have you seen Sticks live lately? You know, I've never seen Sticks live. I'm, I'm
1: kind of embarrassed to say that because. I'm enough of a fan to have like, I have the double disc best of, and a couple of the, you know, a couple of the big records like paradise theater and Kilroy and stuff like that. But I I would totally go see them live and they tour so much. They've toured so much over the last, you know, 20, 25 years, even without Dennis and, I don't know why.
0: I just haven't seen them yet. It's one of those one of those bands. Everybody has yeah. those bands that they just miss every time, and that's right. one yeah. of them for me. Well, yeah. For a long time, Styx was, was that band for me, but in the last five, six years, I've always made a point to see them when they come through town, and they just put on a great show, and you know, yeah. I, I uh, really, really respect that they're out there keeping these songs alive, and I want to talk about the songs and talk about my relationship with this band but first let's just get right into this interview this is a a fun listen with the one and only ricky phillips who's done so much work through the years i mean you just mentioned before we started recording here the babies which is a band i i I have to say i i I know a little bit about them and but i'm not really heavily schooled on them how many records does the babies have do you know off the top of your your head
1: uh, I don't know if they put anything out
0: since they got back together a few years right. ago, but initially, initially I mean, there were in the five day. records. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Initially there were five records, and Ricky played on the last two.
0: Okay, cool.
1: So, And, and a great power pop band. If you love power pop, like you know Cheap Trick at the Cars and all that cool stuff from the late 70s and early 80s, you at least owe it to yourself to get the baby's anthology best of. That's just great music.
0: What's the one really big smash hit single that they had in the 70s that's just drips with like 70s awesomeness?
1: Well, um, you know, Back on My Feet again is my favorite. I I think that's like, you know, it's on their best of and that one's just super sugary pop rock. And you, you were saying before we recorded uh the one that you know the most was uh Isn't a time yeah, isn't it one time. of the earlier hits.
0: Which is just yeah. it drips with like seventies awesomeness. It's just the piano, yeah. the strings, the backing vocals, it's so so great. That would predate Ricky's time in in the band. But uh, yeah, the babies yeah. again, one of those you know, it's funny, I'm I'm forty seven years old now and there's still so much music <laughs> from the past that I haven't dove into, you know, and, and uh yeah. You know, I'm thankful. And, that, yeah, I even
1: go ahead. I was listening to the babies on a recommendation from a friend of mine back when I used to work in the record stores back in the day, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until like I got finished listening to one of the records and enjoyed it, and I didn't even realize it was John Waite. and I i came in on john wade of course with missing you like a lot of other people did right i had no idea that was the same guy it's the same same thing with me finding out that eric Carmen was a singer for the raspberries i'm like i knew of their solo work because i'm a little younger but knowing that they had these amazing bands before they were solo artists uh you know in the public conscious was just it was like oh that's neat it's like just an extra layer of cool things to find out so
0: absolutely Great. Well, without further ado, let's get right into this interview with Ricky Phillips. Be sure to check out Styx's new record, The Mission. I really am a fan of this record. I think it's great stuff. It's exactly what I wanted to hear as a longtime Styx fan. And a big thanks to the guys in Styx, including Ricky, for delivering such a good product to us. Uh, And here we go. My discussion recorded... I'm trying to think when... The exact date, I believe this was recorded, let's see, July 3rd. This was recorded July 3rd, 2017. Mark Striegel, that's me, talking with Ricky Phillips. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Rock podcast, and checking in with us on the line, Ricky Phillips from Sticks. Ricky, how are you?
6: Hey, Mark. I'm doing great, man. been traveling a bit today and uh, getting off the road for about a week before we get back to it. But it's all good.
0: Well, cool. I want to talk to you about what's going on on the road right now, because it sounds pretty pretty awesome, uh, the United We Rock tour. But first, let's let let's talk about the great new record, The Mission. A, congratulations on how great this record is, because I really like it. The day it came out, I was texting my friends and saying, you got to check this out. This is the classic Sticks sound. It's the, the album that the longtime Styx fans like myself would want to hear. And now we're hearing that it's, it's doing really good. I mean, charting in the top 20, I think the top number 14 on the Billboard charts, it's, it's doing great. So congratulations on this great new record.
6: Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, there's several charts. It's going from anywhere from like 16 to, to 13 as far as a, sing, a single, which we, we were just releasing a song as a teaser, really not a single. But all of a sudden, uh, Billboard has put it in the top 10 of the summer hits. Nice. And... Uh, I really appreciate your comments. Um, that's, you know, that's always been... That, that's the,
0: gone, 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 right?
6: Always, but gone, 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 yes. Right.
0: Great song. But thanks
6: for your comments. It's it's what we're shooting for, is for people um, who are longtime fans to think of this as an extension, and and uh, we go to great pains to make sure it sounds like six. As a matter of fact, in my case, on this record, I played all my old vintage basses and tried to keep um, tones that were appropriate for... Um, not just sticks, but the time period that the band is uh, kind of start, started with decades ago. Yeah. And uh, the same with Lawrence Gallon as far as um, keyboard sounds and, and uh, analog type sounds. As a matter of fact, we, we recorded all the drums on two-inch tape and a lot really? of the bass, wow. but what there's a relay that happens when you we had to run two two-inch machines to do this. And uh, we started losing time, a lot of time for the machines to catch up. But... We've got really, really nice tones at Blackbird in Nashville. But um, we we used the real gear instead of using digital um, processing. We used all the gear. They've got an incredible uh, arsenal of microphones, like the same ones the Beatles use, the same models, and and, and and all kinds of technical stuff that most people probably wouldn't understand. But it's the stuff that made it sound. Those records sound so good and warm. And uh, we were knew we knew we were putting this out on vinyl, so we wanted to go that extra mile to make sure that all the way down the line it sounded first of all like a sticks record and secondly it had that that quality and that uh, those big warm tones
0: that's amazing to to hear that you're you're putting the drums down on actual tape just like they did back in in the seventies and nothing yeah. dialed in no no uh you know i forget what they call it the 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 dialed in sounds like the line six dialed in process sounds. Oh insane. yeah. No, yeah, samples. N- n- yeah, no, no samples. sampled sounds, everything natural. And th- it makes sense because again, the record, it sounds, you know, I, sometimes I'm hesitant to say this because artists, they, they're like, Oh, well we want it to sound contemporary and modern, but, but this record, it sounds like a sticks record should sound. Um, you know, and and I think that that is why I was just so ex- excited by it. And to hear the backstory about just using actual microphones and, and two-inch tape and stuff. I, I think that's that's just awesome. You know, you've been in the band a, a long time now, and I know you did the covers record, uh, Big uh, Big Bang Theory, back in 2005, but this is truly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the first studio album of original material since you've been in the band.
6: Yeah, no, that's true. We did, uh, we did some uh, remakes that they wanted to hear about, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, um, we did two, but yeah, this is this one counts. I mean, this is one that's all new material where um, Tommy kind of and, and Will, who, who produced the record, um, they kind of encouraged me to. Tommy, Tommy said the exact words: "I want to hear the Ricky Phillips that's warming up in, in in the dressing room before we go out right on stage. I want to hear, I want to hear you, not holding back on anything." So once they gave me the green light. That's exactly what you don't hear. Uh, when I was a session guy, you don't hear that from a producer. They basically right. almost want you to dummy it down and just, you know, play the song uh, simplified so we could get radio airplay. But Tommy really wanted uh, wanted me to reach reach out and do some of the stuff that, that um, you're generally you just can't do unless, unless you're within a band format. And Sticks has kind of got this prog side to it that um, we were able to Explore a little bit and with Todd Zuckerman. Todd and I actually, before I was in Sticks, Todd and I met doing sessions in Los Angeles. And my frustration was that he was in Sticks and on the road all the time, and I couldn't use him in the studio on the stuff I was producing. So, uh. um, this is just this was such a fun thing for Todd and I to go in there and and uh do what we you know were doing 15, 16, 17 years ago and do it on a Sticks record, and and uh, he's He's a sensational drummer. Love working with him.
0: Awesome, and you guys are constantly on the road. I mean, I saw, who I, I saw you in Newark, I think New Jersey, headlining most most recently. That had to be not more than a year ago, and then I think the year or two before that, it was with Def Leppard and and Tesla in New Jersey. Right. So, you, so you're you're doing a lot of touring. Where did you find the time to to get this record recorded and and the songwriting and all that was, was this being worked on while you were on tour or did you yeah. just clear the schedule for a while and, and bunker down and do the record?
6: Well, to, Tommy, Tommy had the idea about three and a half years ago or so, maybe four years ago, the idea and started recording probably around three years ago and working on, on woodshedding demos to, this whole concept that came up in his head and he, he was afraid to tell us about it because <laughs> he knew that as soon as he said, I've got this concept record, we were all going to just shrug our shoulders and go, oh, are you kidding me? And uh, it's like a softball for the critics to just tear us apart because that's kind of the one thing that uh, we were trying to get away from. And um, But he came up with this great idea and if you think about it, in, in our lifetime, we will probably have a manned mission to Mars and um, so... It is kind of that we went from being cowboy little kids in the fifties to all of a sudden the thought of of going to outer space and, yeah. and and you know planetary exploration. So we're kind of sticking with what uh, kind of what those youthful young ideas and dreams that we we had as kids and, and it's it we we dialed into this idea and then it got serious. It got very adult and very. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's studied and he's been made friends at NASA and he really got into a lot of the things that are technical that that are important to know before you can really dive into some of this. And we've made great friends at NASA since then and been able to tour some of uh, their facilities. um, The the story grew, and it grew, and and it took a couple years and kept putting it together. And I was in the studio producing something, and and he started shooting me off um, demos and saying, can you throw down some bass on this and see what you can do with it? And and he would do that with Todd and, and myself and and then bring Lawrence in and and play some keys and they would sing and write some vocals. And, and, uh, all of a sudden it was, it was go time. We had these demos and it was time to go to, to, we had some time off, uh, uh, to, I think it was in the winter months and we basically just said, we don't have much time to do this. And it didn't take very much time in the final application took a long time building up to it. But once, this group of guys goes in and works together. We work so, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just effortless.
3: Yeah, cool. uh, We'll
6: talk about where we want to go, what we want to do, what emotion we want to emote within the song. And that's it. Each guy knows what to do and, and how we pull off of each other uh, as players and emotionally within within the music. And um, we didn't overstress anything. There weren't any glitches. There weren't any, you know. If we if there was something that uh, somebody wanted to bring up, we'd slam it down, see what it sounded like. If that sounds good. <laughs> let's go, and that's just kind of the way we work together. Um, everybody's got great ideas. They come prepared. They've done their homework. They've got multiple ideas. If they think there's something that you know, might might be a stretch or anything, and if not, it's a go. If, if Tommy gave us the thumbs up, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. We'd keep moving, and uh, it's. I think I was in Nashville for 2 days. Right. Wow. And I I, I was done. Really? And wow. so and maybe th- maybe it was 3. Maybe it was 3, but I was in that hotel room for a very short period of time. That's all I remember. And uh it was, it was over so quickly. And then of course you know the process uh, for those people who don't know to finish your record and and uh going through the mixing process and and uh getting levels and and exploring what is—you can take a song in many directions once it's been recorded. By what is the loud, what's louder than uh, other instrumentation, the vocal arrangements, and um, certain overdubs. So that process takes a bit of time, and then once once that's sweetened and everything is done, it's 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 mixed time and master time. So right. it happened very quickly in the end once once uh, everything was was laid down.
0: Cool. And the end project is is just great the the final result i guess is what i'm trying to say it's the mission the new album by sticks it's out now we're talking with ricky phillips of the band he's been in the band what has it been 13 14 years yeah this I,
6: it's been 14 years next month nice. um and i it just doesn't seem like it could possibly be that long but um yeah it's it's crazy. Like I said, Tommy and I have been friends. I, I was first on stage with Sticks in 1979 when I was in The Babies. And, right. Um, so I've known the guys a long time. And then when Tommy was in Damn Yankees, I was in Bad English. So we've had this sort of commonality and we've had this friendship. And we've always wanted to work together. And and um, as I said earlier, my frustration with not being able to use Todd Zuckerman on stuff I was producing uh, was fixed by <laughs> something I wasn't expecting. And that was a phone call from first Todd saying I just found out Tommy wants to you know ask you to come into the band and uh, I'm just hoping you got. this is what you want to do this is what you'd want to do and, and you, that's what you want to hear it was mm-hmm. just a total uh, welcoming from from everybody and uh, it was from day one it's a lot when you're coming into an iconic band like this and i played with a lot of great people but when the band, the first band that had four consecutive three million sellers, you know that's that's pretty impressive. Oh yeah, definitely. and uh, I you don't just go in and dabble, man. You, you better have the stuff down. I learned everything that Chuck recorded and um, studied it deeply. Before you can change something, you've got to know the original in, inside out. I noticed that Todd was able to make the drumming his own, and I I know all that was virtual goal was to get to that point. And it, it took me, I would say a good year before I knew where I could, uh, introduce a bit of myself and deviate a little ebb and flow with, with, with what was going on and not do that at the sake of the song so that everything, everybody came to hear, all those little parts are all intact. They're there. You're not missing anything. right, And, uh, but it, uh, it, it's fun because everybody in the band is such a great musician, and, and as I said, come come prepared with any new idea. They come with a bag of tricks, of ideas, and uh, so it's 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 a place. It's not the place I would have ever written. If I was going to write the script of my life, you wouldn't be telling me uh, at this this time in my life I would I would be having a hit record. But it so far um, it, it's already charting fairly well and yeah. or very well. And uh, we're all very excited about it. It's 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 what you always hope for, but you, it's no guarantee.
0: Cool. And you you mentioned the babies, and you were a part of that band with uh, you know, John Waite and Jonathan Cain. And but well, before we right. get into the babies, you you said you were on stage with Sticks back in 1979, which was right around the time I got into them. My, my parents were desperately trying. I was would only listen to Kiss and nothing else, and they. Uh, out of desperation they went into the record store and they said uh, our son we really need to listen he needs to listen to something else besides this band Kiss and the guy said well try this and he gave my dad the, the cassette a cornerstone and uh, that did it that that broke uh-huh. the, broke me out of kiss only uh but uh um, very funny i like that story yeah yeah but uh so 1979 were you just were you a guest of theirs on stage for a song or something or were you no,
6: touring it, with? them? we were i was in the babies and we were touring with them okay. we were their opening act um in gotcha. the babies man we were the we were the consummate opening act we opened for alice cooper we opened for for our cheap trick and and journey and um it was us and ACDC. We were the opening acts for everybody back in those days. And, uh, it was a good time. I mean, we made a lot of great friends, uh, that I have to this day. And, uh, it's, it's very cool to see the guys in Cheap Trick, for example, get inducted. And, and my guys from Bad Alicia, Neil and, and Jonathan, and, and Greg, and, and, uh, who I've worked with actually over the past year on a project I'm producing. And, uh, it's, it's just great to see all those guys, Steve Perry I mean, uh, I thought I probably saw Steve sing sixty nights on stage, and wow. the guy was just unbelievable a human phenomenon uh, what he how he could sing and how high he could sing and how long and, and, and just seemed to do it effortlessly but um, yeah it's, it's fun to see all of the, the people you've known your friends doing so well and, and a lot of my friends are just. Still kicking ass, man! I'm yeah. loving
0: it. And are you in touch a lot with Neil Sean these days? Of course, you were in the uh, bad English with Neil.
6: Yeah, well, Neil and I are friends. It's it's um, all of us guys that are on the road over 200 days a year. Yeah, um, it's tough to keep on a real, you know, ongoing friendship. But when things will come up, and and we'll end up. Um, Neil and I and Steve Smith opened up the Ronnie Montrose Life Celebration okay. uh, concert, and and you know we do things um, usually probably musically, but you know occasional text here and there. I just I, I just sent him a text recently about some stuff that was going down, and you know it's it's a long distance friendship, but uh, John Wade still a great buddy. He's he's opened up for us on several occasions still sings his ass off and, and is very impressed with the last time I heard him. It's unbelievable. The yeah, guy can sing like he does. And, uh, yeah, yeah. we all we all kind of set that for being pretty friendly.
0: And, and, I mean, you mentioned legendary guitar player, Neil Sean, who you worked with, of course... To me, James James uh, Young and you know JY and Tommy Shaw, of course, both legendary guys yeah. too. But another legend in in my life, and I most people who like rock and roll's like Jimmy Page. You worked with uh, him and and Coverdale with Coverdale Page. Any stories yeah. that you could share about working with those two rock legends?
3: Well, it, it was.
6: It was one of those things where I picked up the phone and David wanted to know, he basically said, look, I understand you guys are splitting up in bad English. We uh, had the same management. So he was hearing through that contact that we were, we were splitting up dur- during the making of our second record. And um, He said, I don't want to be inappropriate, but I was wondering, I'm going to do a record with, with Jimmy Page. I was wondering if you would want to come up and, uh, to Tahoe and work with uh, wow. us on it and, and which of material. I was never really supposed to be in the band because at that time, John Culloden was trying to put a super group together. And I heard, I mean, Chris Squire's name come up and I think John Amos called a couple of times while we were there working on material. I was excited about that because these guys are my heroes. And, um, we worked on it probably three to five months back and forth, flying in and out. And, um, it was ready, ready to it was go time. It was time to, to record the record and, uh, I can't remember if it was Jimmy or David but they said, Hey, we like we really like what's going on here and the way this is sounding and uh will you come up to Little Mountain and start cutting tracks with us and so I did and uh, Danny Carmassi, who was one of my favorite drummers from Montrose, uh, playing drums and Danny and I love working together so it was a blast. It was kind of the sequestered the four of us with uh, a couple guys that were there to, to help us do what we needed to do and um we spent all those months together pretty privately. And, uh, it, it was a great time. I mean, I learned a lot from Jimmy. Jimmy and I would go out at night and he, he and I were the only ones that really would kind of go hang. We'd like to go out to bars and right. look at pretty cool. girls, <laughs> have a beverage or two. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'd jump in the car and I'd start riddling him with, you know, okay, let me, let me get this straight. So when you were in the Yardbirds, you know, and he was, he was great. He'd he uh, he didn't mind telling me all the all the stories and and all the things that I wanted to know and, and we just had a blast we had a good time.
0: Awesome, awesome. That's you know if you haven't heard that record in a while, guys, go back and listen to that Coverdale Page record. There's a lot of really great stuff on there, and you know everyone always remembers Jimmy's work with uh, with with Led Zeppelin and stuff. But definitely uh, do yourself a favor and revisit that record. Great stuff. Cool. So the tour cool. is is sticks. Ario Don Felder, you are the billing it as the United We Rock tour. Is there a little break on the tour right now? I know you were flying into Los Angeles earlier today.
6: Yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't been home in a little over a month. I, I stayed out um, when all the guys went home on the last break because I had uh, I had some business in Los Angeles to attend to, and and then I just met up with the guys in Portland where we started this this leg of the tour, and uh, it, you know. We haven't toured with r o in about five years. We've done some shows with them, but this is the full, full kumchaka, man. This, <laughs> this is Tom Felder opening with with REO and sticks flip flopping, uh, whatever if you want to call it, the headlining slot, the closing right. slot, whatever. Um, but it's um, for me, the ultimate slot is the middle slot because that's the only slot where every everybody that comes to the concert sees that band and people who were late because they didn't get off work in time or whatever. Um, or the people who have to pick up babysitters to go to work the next day, whatever the reason and have to leave early, the, the yeah. middle slot's the sweet spot. It always, always has been in my estimation. And the, the prestige of having the close closing slot, um, isn't quite the same as, as it used to be. I don't, and it, from my perspective as a player, but, um, we kind of managers go head to head on what cities each band should close and then we find out as we're we're touring Um, but it's fun and we're great friends and history between sticks and REO of course goes way back and now with Don um, and we did a residency in Las Vegas with Don and we were Don's band and then he stayed out and played with us for our set and uh, that was a a blast, and he's such a great player, and all of his solos are so iconic that you know every note. You might not think you do, but when the song comes up, if he were to change it, you'd know what was what was missing. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's strong, just so strong as a player, really, really good. And, and he and I have a blast because we're both golfers, oh, cool. so we're looking at the. We always look at the uh, itinerary and see, hey, we've got a day off in Denver, and I know this killer course is going, you know. And so we'll be doing that throughout the summer, just to get away from concrete and uh, hotel rooms, and, and uh, uh, it makes 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 the summer a lot more fun. It's not just you know living living backstage and,
0: and in a hotel room. Right. There's some camaraderie there. I guess it sounds like that's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And before we let you go, you've you you've mentioned your produ- your work as a producer, and I have to admit I know nothing about like what you produce, what you work on, where you do it. Could you fill us in just a little bit briefly on, on your work as a producer?
6: Sure, man. Um I uh started just doing stuff for films, television, um, after Bad English and actually it was after the Coverville Page Record. And uh I did that for ten years before Sticks called me. Um, I put out records in Europe. Uh, there's a Fredrickson Phillips record, which is one of my favorite records I've used It It's my first production, actually. And I did a few things after that. Uh, but predominantly, it was for work-related stuff. Not exactly always stuff you loved doing. But, I, I mean, for example, I did a kid, kid's television sh- television show uh, for Mark Summers Productions. It's one of the most fun things I've ever done. Right. I mean, it's, uh, it's challenging. you got to pull from, from a different sides than than just as a songwriter because you're trying to create um they give you kind of a criteria what they're looking for and then you go for it but i did a lot of stuff and then got got involved in production with um oh mattel and i all kinds of all kinds of crazy stuff that took me away from rock and roll but i learned an awful lot doing it and um so it was a good exercise for me
0: when, but, when, you, um, when you say Mattel, like, doing, like, commercials and promo work and stuff like that?
6: Yeah, promo work for anything from commercials to, um, uh, toy fairs oh, to, okay. um, and update. you talk about spending millions of dollars on promoting things. If you've never been to a toy fair, <laughs> it's insane. Right. But, uh, but I mean, I, it's been, gosh, um, we're, now we're talking 20 years since I've done that. But, um, it's, it's the kind of stuff that uh, that I was doing to, to uh, in between when when uh, the march of the flannel shirts came in from Seattle and every music changed. And you had right. you had to reinvent yourself, you know. And uh, music is all I know. So I'd been producing and writing music for so many years at that point that I just kind of carried it on with uh, uh, as you know as a way of life. And then uh, Tommy Shaw called me up. And said, so, "Hey, I know you've got your studio and you're doing a lot of stuff, but when do you think about putting the dancing shoes back on and getting <laughs> on stage? That's, well, that sounds pretty good
0: to me." Yeah, no, and and as a longtime fan of this band, I'm glad you're there in the mix, in the lineup with them because you, you sound great and sticks just never disappoints. Um, I get I get really like. Because it's been such a part of my life for so long, you know, seeing you up there and hearing you guys up there doing those songs, you know, the, those songs are the soundtrack to to our lives. And we really appreciate you keeping this music alive for us fans, the Sticks fans out here. Uh, it's been great talking with you, well, Ricky.
6: thank you, Mark. You too, Mark. I mean, great questions. I just really
0: enjoyed it. Awesome. Okay, that was my interview with Ricky Phillips. I'm here with Joey Haney from the Rock Strikes 10 podcast, who I am looking forward to hanging with in person in Nashville, August 26th. That's going to be a fun hang, the Rock and Pod Expo. Totally psyched for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and right up front, uh, thanks for the kind words on the uh, during the SINZAC interview. I, I appreciate that. That was, I heard that on the ride home from work, and uh, it, that's 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 what you want to hear after a
0: long day. So thank oh, cool. you. Oh, you bet, you bet. And I, I, what I said during that interview, I mean, and uh, I can't remember exactly what I said, but Joey has a great podcast. If you don't know it, do yourself a favor and subscribe to it on iTunes. It's the Rock Strikes Ten podcast. So we spoke a little bit about the babies before the the interview and I wanted to just kind of go into a little more detail. I, I told this story I believe during the interview but you know the only band I would listen to was Kiss when I was literally like eight, nine years old is when I got into Kiss and my parents yeah. were just desperate to get me to listen to something else and I would not, I would not hear any of it and so I got my dad went and bought me my first cassette. It had all been forty fives and, and LPs up until that point. And and when he went to the store to buy Kiss Dynasty, shortly, I'm guessing it was shortly after it came out. Um, he asked the guy at the counter, "You know, my my son, he will he'll only listen to to Kiss. Is there is there any other cassette I could buy him? Since you know this is a special new format, I had never had a cassette before." So and I was wow. so excited to get this Kiss Dynasty record on on cassette. So he the the clerk at the record store, which is how it was back in the day. You know they would they would yeah. turn you on to stuff or your dad on to stuff for you, which is the, what happened sure. here. And he recommended Kiss Cornerstone, which was uh, you know also a, a new record. And my dad brought home both those, and I for I was so excited by the cassette format. That of course, I listened to the kiss one and thought it was great and and uh, I'd already had the forty five for I was made for loving you with hard times on the on the B side so I already knew a couple of the songs but I, I hearing the whole hmm. thing through I loved it and then um we popped in the cornerstone thing and it took me a few listens but I'll tell you the third or fourth listen through of that cornerstone record, I was hooked on on Sticks. I especially love side one of that record. So many great songs on Cornerstone. I wish they'd play a few more of them in concert. They always hit one or two though. But yeah. such such a, a f- exciting time for music back then. And you know the discovery of it and and how it it wasn't always just this simple thing that you find on YouTube or you know somebody sends you a link there was there was uh there was something yeah. more valuable about it back then and and i you know I'm happy to hear that that sticks went back to recording with with actual tape and they did stuff to to bring us old fans back to what we love to give us some new songs and continue the 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 great legacy that that sticks has had and uh ricky yeah. mentioned coverdale page too that a great record that i, I like that always kind of a lot of people poke fun at that record were you a fan of that record
1: no i love that record and i love coverdale you know of course and who doesn't love jimmy page but you know it I always wondered and forgive me because I know you 're a big Zeppelin fan, you might have read more books about him than I have, but i I just assumed even at that age because I was about sixteen years old when that album came right. out roughly, and uh you know i i I just assumed that Plant just didn 't want to get back together with Page. and this was the material that Jimmy Page had written for that inevitable reunion. And just used it with Coverdale. I mean, I think it seems in retrospect now maybe more of a collaborative effort with him and Coverdale. Right. But you know, it, it obviously comes off very Zeppelin because Plant has the same similar voice, much to uh, Robert Plant's dismay a lot of times because he does poke fun at him a lot over the years. But you know, I think Coverdale's classy. He's never taken that pot shot, and also he's just a he's just a quality singer. He's got that great blue eyed soul thing, and. You know this this album is real tough. It's a it's a true nugget of the '90s now. Even though it went like I think it went double platinum when it came out, because everybody bought records back then. But right. it's been kind of forgotten over time, and it's a shame because that that album is really super solid. I just listened to it again last night and yeah.
0: loved it. People it's poked fun at it at the time. You know, Robert Plant, White Snake had 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 been been putting out records, and of course, the Still mm-hmm. of the Night was a big MTV hit, and. Yeah. At the time, people was like, "Oh!" And people said, "Oh, it's just a knockoff. It's a Led Zeppelin ripoff." Still of the Night. David David Coverdale is a, is a Led is a plant clone, and and Still of the mm. Night. The song is a you know they should give Zeppelin royalties on that. And one of the people who was attacking um, David Coverdale was Robert Plant. At that time, he called referred to him as Rob uh, David Cover version. Uh, yeah I, and, I saw. I remember seeing that yeah and, and uh, I think he also was, refer- Kingdom Come had that Get It On song and he called them yeah. Kingdom Clone um, yeah
1: and there's that Aussie song
0: with Gary Moore "Led
1: Clones which yeah. uh, pokes fun at those bands too and you know yeah, I, I don't think Coverdale and Plant are that far off as far as age goes either or even really making it I mean you know it was about four or five year difference from making it but you know,
0: yeah, it wasn't like gotta David Coverdale. He's got to be because he was like, yeah, he was like nineteen in like seventy five, mm-hmm. I believe. So yeah. he's he's he's. But got, it's not like he was just
1: listening to Plant. He was, right. you know, I, I believe David Coverdale when he says that he listened to Stevie Wonder and Donny Hathaway and those guys. You know, Plant's more of a folk guy. Um, you know, on the to put a you know a generic point on it, right? You yeah. know, it's folk, it's folk and rock. And Coverdale's more R and B and rock, and he brought his own thing to everything that he did. I'm a big fan of Coverdale. I mean, I love Plant. I'm not I'm not picking on him either, but I think they're I think they're pretty different. I mean, their approach
0: is similar when they're playing rock, but they have their own journey. And you know, the thing the thing two two points I want to make I, I do believe that Page specifically wanted to do this with Cover Coverdale because he knew that Plant already didn't like Coverdale and, you know, plant and page, very private people. They keep their squabbles out of the press. They keep everything out of the press really. But Mm -hmm. uh, he, you know, they, they were pissed at each other, you know, and Mm page for, for more than half of his life has been trying to make things happen for a Led Zeppelin reunion. And, you know, there's been these one-offs and whatnot, but I feel there's been probably so many wasted years of this guy's life just wanting and trying and wishing that, that he could do the great Led Zeppelin again with John Paul Jones and Robert Plant and potentially Jason Bonham. And yep. I I have no doubt in my mind that it was a slap in the face to Plant that he went and worked with, with David Coverdale. Having said that, it's a great record. And the other thing to remember is Jimmy Page, well into his 70s now. And yeah. Roger Daltrey said this at one point. He said, what a waste, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and and you could flip it and say, well, he did such everything the guy's done has been so good that it's not a waste, you know, but so for somebody his age, I mean, he's just gone decades and decades with putting out so, such little material. And we've heard yeah. that maybe he's going to do another solo record, but look at guys. I mean, at this point in his life, I think that's probably highly unlikely. Um, I mean, yeah. We're talking about somebody who's sadly near the end of his life. Um, that would be great if he does get a record out for us, but I just don't think that's going to happen myself. Mm-hmm. Having said that, we all know the Zeppelin stuff. It's it's amazing. It doesn't get any better than Led Zeppelin, but there are yeah. a few other little nuggets from Jimmy Page through the years. I mean, you have the Death Wish 2 soundtrack and It was that weird out, was that outland outlander or something? There was a solo record he put out.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, And, and this is one of the few things that page did outside of Led Zeppelin. And honestly, it's, the hardest rocking thing he's done out of Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Of course the firm forgot about the firm. They did two.
1: two yeah. Years, yeah, with, yeah. With With Paul Rogers and Chris Slade. And yeah, yeah. And you, you almost can't blame Jimmy page for feeling like, you know, the estranged crestfallen ex girlfriend or ex wife that just wants to get back together because plant did lead him on over the years. I mean, they played on each other's solo albums. You know, I believe page makes an appearance on the honey drippers record. He played on outlander and, you know and vice versa you know like a page gets playing credit i don't even think it's just for the samples i think he actually does play on a real track on now and zen yeah so they've you know they've kind of been there with each other page
0: cd together you know oh the page page plant project or page plant yeah i'm sorry what did i say coverdale page yep like They did that steve albini produced it i believe
1: yeah, and they did the live album and they did the tour. And you know, so you almost can't blame Paige for thinking, well, this is in the cards. He just needs to get into a place where he wants to really commit and do it. So, you know, I put a lot of that on Robert. I mean, he should have maybe told him a long time ago. I don't yeah. know. I don't know their lives, but that's how it seems from an outsider's perspective.
0: Yeah. The, to me it seems like Robert Robert does like to do think that he's going to do it. But then he he realizes just the legendary status uh, of of what Led Zeppelin is, and and it's it's become more. Led Zeppelin is more than just Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, John Bonham, and Robert Plant. It's more than that. It's it's, it's something. It's that, a legend. It's a legend. It, it's something that belongs to all of us. Those songs are now belong to us almost more than they do that band they they they're the soundtrack to to so many lives and they mean so much to so many people yeah. that to step and into we'll continue those shoes to Yeah, to step into back try to put back on those those Led Zeppelin shoes I mean that's that's got to be an emotionally heavy thing. And and you know yeah. it's it's uh, it goes back to Styx too and and that's why I would just want to thank Ricky for keeping these songs alive because yeah there's Styx mm-hmm. songs. Those are the, when I go to see yeah. Sticks play. Those are Sticks songs, but they're my songs too, you know, because I, they, they, they mean so much to me. I didn't write them. I didn't, I, yeah. I, I didn't re- play on them. I didn't record them, but, but they, they're mine. I, I listened to those in, you know, Paradise Theater and, you know, um, Halfpenny, two penny, and uh, so you know, yeah. Eddie off a of cornerstone, the Grand Illusion. I could go on and on. So many of those songs. Yeah. I crystal feel Ball, like, man, Crystal Ball, Crystal Ball. <laughs> yeah, those songs yeah. just have been a part of my life since I before I was in the double digits age-wise, and it's just <laughs> like like they mean so much to me, and 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 they. That's why I go to these shows, Joey, and I get emotional at at some of these shows. Yeah. You know, when yeah. when they when they pull out these old old, old songs that, and they, especially if they play them and they sound good, you know, I, I, get, yeah. I get really uh, worked up. I just saw you too. It was the same type of thing hearing them mm. go through some of these uh, great songs. And this is, you know, it's the Joshua tree tour. It's almost like a greatest hits tour really. And uh, yeah. Yeah. hats off to those, those bands that realize that these songs have become something beyond You know beyond something that they created it's become a part of the culture a part of so many people's lives and and i think when bands realize that and and realize that these songs have a deep emotional connection to the the listeners that are out there I, i think uh that that's important for these bands to to recognize and i'm not sure all of them get get that
1: Yeah, Uh, and I'm a big fan of those those acts like you two. You mentioned you went to the show. I I want every one of my favorite bands to do some sort of album tour where they play the whole album top to bottom, you know, in order and all that. I've seen a handful of album shows now, and those are my favorite shows. Uh, Every you know, I've seen I've seen Twisted Sister play Stay Hungry top to bottom. I've seen Rat play Out of the Cellar top to bottom. I've seen Elton John play pretty much all of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road live, and it's just those are my favorite shows. It's just that, oh, I can't. Especially the Elton John one. That really got me.
3: Yeah.
1: Like hearing him do like, I heard him do Roy Rogers, which he never plays. Wow. You know, and stuff like that. I just, I, I almost start. I, I'll admit it. I almost cried during Roy Rogers, and uh, and then I've heard that movie too. Oh my god. Or I've seen that movie too. Sorry. Um. Yeah. Just right. Like that. But yeah, I wish more bands would do that. And I'm honestly, I'm not a big U2 fan. My best friends are massive U2 fans. And what I like by them could probably fit on, you know, one to two CDs tops. But I would never disparage U2. I completely respect them. They're one of the only, you know, rock bands that can play a stadium nowadays, which is unprecedented. And and man, I've seen so many pictures of that stage while the tour has been going on. Just friends of mine online around the country. That looks like a beautiful stage. I'm sure yeah. singing in person was, was amazing.
0: It, it was a great concert. I mean, they come out and pl- start on this real little intimate stage in the out in the middle, you know, which is just the four of them out there. No screens, minimal lights, and they do some of the old, you know, hits, Sunday, Bloody Sunday and, and whatnot. And mm-hmm. then they walk down the catwalk you know to the big stage and it just lights up and they go right into Joshua Tree from from top to bottom and it's a real magical moment and uh, definitely A very, very great night for me seeing you two. Hey, Joey, um, we're going to have to wrap things up here on this episode of Talking Rock, but I did want to mention that my friend Dan Lorenzo, who works at Stepping Out Magazine, which is a magazine here in New Jersey, uh, in the new issue, which is the July 5th issue with actress, model Katie Johnson on the cover, he did a thing where he tells people to... um, he features like five or six people and tells them to list five songs that they think everyone should hear. So, uh, you know, Ooh. he billed me as Mark Striegel from talking Metals, So I tried to keep them kind of in the rock, uh, vein. And I put down, uh, the night flight orchestra sad state of affairs hollywood superstars tonight's the night kicks midnight dynamite agent steel agents of steel scorpions coast to coast Uh, he also was kind enough to feature emily in this she put down prince erotic city motorhead overkill van halen romeo's delight queens of the stone age hanging tree judas priest screaming for vengeance There's a bunch of other people here, including Sean Winkler from Sirius XM. He put down Metallica, Master of Puppets, Life of Agony, Underground, Visions of Disorder, Element, Offspring, All I Want, Soundgarden, Blow Up the Outside World, Bobby Blitz from Overkill, his five songs that everyone must hear, Agnostic Front gotta go the cursed which is funny because that's a, that's a band with dan lorenzo and bobby blitz nice. the cursed, evil in the bag judas priest rapid fire motor kill killed by death tt quick motorhead or yeah what did i say overkill it's a motor kill oh motor kill <laughs> motor kill i like that motorhead <laughs> yeah. Killed by death and T.T. Quick, Fortunate Son. And so anyways, check out the new uh, edition of Stepping Out magazine. It's out now if you live in the state of New Jersey. If you don't, you probably can find it online. Hey, Joey, what are you listening to? Any any good new music we should know about? Uh,
1: uh, on this format, uh, some a couple of obvious reissues, but ones you must have. One a little less obvious, I'll do that first. Uh, there's a Beach Boys reissue out nice. oh, uh, called Night... Yeah, called 1967. Have you heard about this yet? No, no. Tell me. Okay. Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta hear this. This one is, yeah, it's called 1967 Sunshine Tomorrow. It's a two CD set. There's no vinyl for it yet, at least. But it's a two CD set, and it basically just is a capsule of everything they did in 1967, pretty much revolving around the Wild Honey record, which is, you know, anything they did between, anything they did after Pet Sounds and before they got back together with brian in the mid-70s to do those stadiums that canon of music between 67 and 72 is so essential in my opinion right it's the most overlooked stuff probably in american music history is beach boys output between 67 and 72 so this is a nice chunk of it right here and like when was
0: when was sail on sailor uh was that in that time Uh, period yeah, that was on the Holland
1: record. That was okay. the last studio record of that canon that I would recommend. Anything between Smile and Holland, including those records, like you have to listen to those records. They're just some of the best albums ever made. And like I said, 67, it's got a stereo mix of Wild Honey, if anybody's ever heard it before, it's uh, and it's also got the unreleased Laden Hawaii album that got shelved. Wow, okay. Because they weren't uh, the label decided not to put it out because they were falling out of fashion. Right. But, you know, it's got tons of Brian Wilson sessions and Carl Wilson sessions on there. So cool. for a big fanboy like me, it's a must own. Nice. Uh, also, of course, pro- arguably the greatest album of all time, it's probably tied for favorite album of all time is Purple Rain. Mm. There's that big deluxe edition out right now. There's a 3 CD, 1 DVD collection that that's the one you got to get.
0: What's the DVD? And of course is it is it the movie? The or?
1: DVD is No, no, because there's already a Blu-ray and DVD re-release for Purple Rain, so that's the entire concert from the tour, oh the God. one that was on VHS and it never got put out on DVD officially. I mean, of course there were bootlegs, but it's never been put out on disc until now officially in the states. That. Is that out so, now? Is that out now? Yeah. Oh yeah, actually, and I paid I, after shipping. I think I paid twenty five dollars for that on Amazon. Is it like on
0: Amazon Prime or anything like that? Yeah, you know? it is. Yeah,
1: okay. Amazon Prime, you can get twenty five dollars for that whole box set, and then like you know they've got vinyl reissues. No, There's no, no, no. I mean, you know what I mean?
0: Amazon TV. Like, can do I? Can I buy a oh. digital version of it, or do I have to buy the the actual DVD package?
1: Uh, that I don't know. I, I I just do physical, so I have no idea. But this is this is the this is the remaster that Prince actually worked on himself, top to bottom, uh, prior to his death. He already had it finished, and the mix on it now is just you know I hate to use a cliche, but it's like hearing it again for the first time. Wow. There's way more. The rhythm section is really cranked up. You know, and there's so much drum and bass on this, which is great. It's not brick walled either. At least it doesn't sound like it to me. But uh, a perfect album that is made even better by his mix. Awesome. And then one of the discs is like, you know, 12-inch mixes and 7-inch mixes and singles that you've heard if you have the B-sides. But the third disc has all rarities that have never been released on anything outside of the bootleg world. Uh, it's and they're quality tracks too so nice. get that package it's amazing Best probably best album ever it's tied for my favorite album of all time along with Welcome to My Nightmare by Alice Cooper
0: so. Awesome. hey Joey I gotta wrap it right now I got another call coming in for my next Show. interview but thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Talking Rock
1: it was a pleasure we'll see you next time